Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Lizelle Wellbeing Show. Now, I have just been joined in my studios by the very impressive motivational speaker, coach, podcast host, and now author, Adrienne Herbert, to discuss her new book, Power Hour. Adrienne and I have had a very inspiring chat about how the first hour of our day can change our lives for the better. Yes, really, even if you are not an early bird like me. So don't forget, if you'd like to watch our chat, you can now find full video podcasts over on the Lizard Wellbeing YouTube channel. But if you'd just like to listen, stay tuned. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. So Adrienne, it's so good to meet you across cyberspace and obviously to, to hear you as well. Thank you for coming onto the podcast today. Um, Hi, me. Oh, it's a great pleasure. Tell us a little bit about your journey. What brought you to this position? Because you've got quite an interesting backstory, haven't you? Yeah, gosh, um, so many things. I guess like everybody, you know, we kind of get to wherever we get to. And yeah, it's always a long, a long process and a journey that's very undulating. So I guess the short version is that I, I was definitely a very ambitious child. I was one of four. I am one of four. Very ambitious child, but I didn't really thrive in the school setting. I think the school environment, I'm, I love people and I love to be around people, but my teachers would all say that I talk too much and that I was easily distracted. So it's great that I'm now able to use my voice in the way that yes. I do. Uh, but yeah, I guess leaving school, I went up to dance school. I went to be a performer and I I was actually a dancer in the West End. Um, some people know that about me, some people don't. But uh, That's really exciting. What, what would we have seen you in? So I was in a musical um, called Flashdance based on the 80s film. Yeah. And then I was in a musical called We Will Rock You, which was at the Dominion Theatre for 12 years. I was there I for two, two of those. Yes. <laughs> well, Love you may it. have seen me. Yeah, I was there for two years in the cast doing the show, eight shows a week. Um, and Life of a Dancer, it's, it's, uh, it's fun and it's amazing, but it requires a lot of sacrifice and discipline as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that's where I was, and then I met my husband and, and got pregnant with my son, and then life changed quite dramatically, actually, for me, quite suddenly uh, when my husband became ill. Uh, he had a spontaneous brain hemorrhage, and that changed, I guess, the trajectory of our, of our life at that time. So yeah, I left the the show and said to the cast, oh, "I'll see you tomorrow," but actually never went back to the show. So I went to. Yeah, he was in a neurology ward for two weeks. And then once he came home, we kind of had this six months of 
yeah, I guess, you know, he wasn't working. I had, we had a uh, first baby on the way. So you can imagine incredibly challenging time, incredibly just overwhelming us to kind of think what is going on? Everything just changed in, in a week. And then your whole trajectory of what you plan and what you think your future is going to be, you yeah. suddenly have to rethink that. So yeah, a lot of things happened after that in terms of, you know, career and rethinking and retraining and becoming a mother and meeting other women, other mothers and yeah, retraining in the, in the fitness space as a trainer. Mm-hmm. And then I guess later on from that, I, I discovered running and I, I started to share my passion for running with others, with other women, with other um, other runners. I was, I was connecting online. It was when I fi- first, I guess, dipped my toe in the water of Twitter and, and Instagram and kind of this is back I don't know maybe four or five five years ago yeah. and yeah I think I just kind of found this new community this new tribe online who I could talk to about you know training for a race or or about what running trainers or or watch mm. stats and it's kind of just this whole little community that gave me I think at the time a new sense of focus a new sense of identity yeah after you know everything changing I think I really kind of liked that consistency of lacing up and going out for a run and it just kind of became yeah I guess a new part of my identity which fast forward to today you know running has really changed so much in my life it's changed my career it's it's given me the opportunity to travel the world meet incredible people work with your different high performers with, with, with all the work that I do now on, on my podcast or mm. when I train for, for endurance events, I get to work with so many amazing people from mind coaches, psychologists, doctors, nutritionists, Olympians, you name it. You know, it's, I could never have imagined the journey that I've been on to, to, to kind of being here actually. And, you know, writing my first book, all yeah. these things have happened, but really when I take it back, there was never kind of an overnight, you know, one thing that just it, it just really always, is mm. yeah it's just been always incremental that like is incremental step by step each year working towards you know a short time goal goal but also with a long-term vision in my mind and I think just just learning as well I'm a voracious learner so along the the time along those years of training for different races one thing that really really changed I guess trajectory of my career was my fascination and my ability I guess to kind of soak up all the information from podcasts from audiobooks I think at the end of last year I looked on audible and kind of scrolled through and I'd listened to 49 books and when That's I think about years yeah years previously I never would sit and read a physical you know 49 books in a year mm-hmm. it's a book a week really I never would have done that so I think you know the way innovation technology all these things that have changed the way we consume media and content and and knowledge knowledge sharing for me has been like a real kind of just a light bulb moment that actually whatever your goal is whatever you want to learn more about whatever the skill is that you wish to acquire to acquire you can now find a place you can go you know via twitter or you can reach out to people you can find mentors you can listen to their ted talks their podcasts it's all out there and anyone can access it for free you just the only thing you have to give up is your time if you pour your time in and and that is very interesting and very relevant to talking about the power hour because you know we do have access to so much more now these days but of course we, there are still only 24 hours in the day and what i was really struck about your book was it was it's really focusing on that very first hour of the day, getting that back. Now, I have to make a confession. I am not an early bird. 
Okay. Yeah, I've, I've been proven genetically, actually. I'm, I'm, a, I'm definitely an owl. So it's quite a challenge to think, you know, right, I'm going to get up an hour earlier. Because is that basically the idea that you get up an hour earlier to start doing all these extra things that are going to give you more power? Absolutely. Yeah. So the power hour concept, um, which is, yeah, what I've based the, the book around and, and my podcast around is exactly that. It's the first hour of your day. And it's about reclaiming some of your time back for yourself, because, you know, essentially I talk a lot about individual ownership and around, you know, taking, uh, you know, around cultivating a mindset for success in whatever you want, whatever the goal, personal or professional. But one thing that comes up, time and time again, different people, different industries is time. Adrienne, I don't have enough time. I wish I could do that if I had more time, when I have more time. And I think what's happened, what I see now is that our time essentially is the demands on us from the moment we wake up to the moment that we go to bed in the modern world is to give your time, your energy, your attention, your focus to so many different things all day long. And I think when I say about reclaim your time, I use the word reclaim intentionally because you're taking back something that was previously yours that was lost or stolen. Your time is yours. You own it until you decide to give it away. So yeah, I encourage people to say it's not about you know, just get up to do more or to be more productive or to, it's not, you know, adding more things. It's actually saying, carve out time for yourself to do the things you want to do, focus on yourself. Actually, what do you want to do more of for you? It's not to say don't do things in service of others. I think, I think it's great that, especially for women listening, I think it's kind of innate in us that we want to give to, you know, our, our partner, our children, our work commitments, community, all of these things. And it's, it's incredibly important that we do that, but you can't give what you don't have. So I think start with yourself and give yourself one hour for whatever you want. It doesn't have to be exercise. It doesn't have to be, you know, this perfect morning routine of meditation. And it can be whatever you want that you feel like is going to set you up for the day ahead. That's really empowering because, you know, as my life is very busy and full, as I'm sure everybody's is. And the day starts the minute you get up, doesn't it? I mean, for me, it starts with making breakfast, doing the school run, you know, ticking off all those check things on the list, the to-do list for the day ahead. And then, you know, literally just plunging straight into the, the working day and I think perhaps with more of us working from home we're finding that more and more at least there, there was for many of us a break when you had your commute or you you know you were sitting on the train or the bus or the car or whatever even the walk to work and that gave you a little bit of breathing space to think or to read or to consider but now it is just just full on so I love this idea that we set our alarm clock is it really like that we're setting our alarm clock one hour earlier and taking that hour and saying, right, this is my time. Everybody else's, the clock starts in 60 minutes. Absolutely. Yeah, that first hour, it's non-negotiable. It's to do whatever you want. And that's why I don't prescribe a time because people always ask me, why do you get up? I get up at half past five. Why do you get up at half past five? Really, that kind of habit started because my son would wake up at half past six. So as, as you know, as a mother, it's like from that point onwards, your your time is, is, is there. So I was like, okay, that one hour before he wakes up, for me, it's 5.30 and it's remained the habit. And, you know, we could talk about, you know, how to 
things to do with your sleep and how to optimize and how to kind of make it less painful if you want to get up earlier because there are a lot of distractions in the modern world that are going to tempt us in the evening to watch tv or apply to notifications or emails there's so many distractions that are 24 7 but i think if you are deciding to get up whatever the time whether that's five six seven the time essentially is relevant it's that one hour it's before your attention is needed elsewhere and it's actually before people's expectation is there because I think that's something I find hard to cultivate later in the day is this feeling in that first hour there's no one's expectation of me to be available I don't feel that nagging thing of oh I need to reply to this or the obligation I need to be there I need to answer this it's just solitude and solitude I think is something that is really hard to cultivate in this day and age because we are connected 24 7. Yeah, I think I mean it's such an interesting idea. You talk about six questions before six. What's that all about? Yes, I do. So it's, you know, I started that once. I'm someone who, for me, the idea of mindful meditation, as much as I read and explore it, I, I do struggle to kind of engage in a daily practice that is mindful because the idea to just sit quietly and do nothing doesn't doesn't really resonate, even though. And I appreciate that's not what mindfulness is. But for me, I was like, I need something that is a bit more prescriptive and something that is kind of directing me to yeah, engage in, in a mindfulness practice. And I guess what I'd like to say about even just using that word mindfulness, like what it is and what it isn't, the way I describe that is just something that's drawing your attention to your physio- physiological state, your state of mind, your, your mood, your, your affect, like how do you actually feel and how do you want to feel for the day ahead? So I, I wrote down these six questions in my journal and I kind of wrote down what do you, what's the energy that you want to have today? And I thought, okay, I'll write it down. You know, who could you help today? Who could you learn from today? Uh, what's... Um, who would love to hear from you today? That's something that I added actually during lockdown. And essentially what I do is I started with these six questions to answer before six, just to draw my own attention to yeah mindfulness. And then it became a habit. I shared it, I think in one podcast episode and a few people said, Oh, I really like that idea. And then I shared it in the book. And I, you know, I give some examples of what those six questions could be. I also also encourage people to, you know, think outside the box, choose your own questions, something that's valuable and important to you. And answering them every day is so different to just run through a checklist in your head. When you actually commit pen to paper and you take the time to answer those questions, it has such a huge impact later on in the day for me because I'm looking out for those answers. I'm looking out for what's the thing I'm most grateful for today? What's the thing I'm looking forward to the most today? I love that question. That's a great question. Because it draws my attention to the good. There's always, we could always think in the morning, oh, I've got to do this, I need to drop that, I need to reply to that, I need to, what time's my son's swimming lesson? There's all these things in our mind. But when I draw my attention to what am I looking forward to the most today, it doesn't have to be a big thing. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's, you know, I'm really looking forward to doing this podcast with you. Other times it's like, I'm really looking forward to going out for my run, coming back and having a hot shower and a croissant and a coffee. Like it can be the small things too. That really, yeah. And so, so that's something that I share. Six questions to answer before six. And as I said, choose what you want those questions to be, but take a little bit of time in the morning. If you just don't know where to start with, with a mindful practice, I think that's a good one to give, give it a go. I really like that. And I really like the way that you kind of redefine mindfulness because I think so often mindfulness can become mindlessness. And actually, I think thinking about it almost, I prefer to refer to it almost as contemplation. So it, it, it's a kind of an, a passive active 
Mm. You know, I'm not actually physically doing something. I am contemplating and considering um, or admiring the beauty of something or just taking some time out to stop, but in a, in a meaningful way rather mm. than a mindless way. And I guess mm. everybody finds their own way. When you say that you're six questions before six, you are physically writing them down. Do you find that's a different thing when you literally commit pen to paper? absolutely so I've written I often write the questions down and I'll actually write them 10 times so that in the morning when I pick up my journal you know the, the question is there and the space is underneath if that makes sense so I don't actually have to write the question I just have to write the answer and the reason that it's so different to me to just run through in my head is because one you know drawing my attention to actually sitting down committing it a thing that I also can do then is look back I can look back now at the, the answers I wrote in March so at the start of the the pandemic and the lockdown I was doing this exercise and actually the other day I just I don't know what it was why I went back but I looked back and it was so it was it was actually amazing to look at what I was thinking then and even though it's only been you know seven eight months it really felt like you know just to be able to assess and look at what I was feeling at the time you know the kind of uncertainty the global shared feeling of anxiety of what's going to happen we've never had anything like this before you know can't, your son, my son couldn't go to school, so you're homeschooling now. And then, uh, you know, restrictions, thinking about parents' health, thinking about people who I know have got medical conditions and them sheltering. There was all these things that I was writing about. And actually looking back, it's, it's a really, really great thing, I think, to be able to do that because we're always looking forward. I'm, I'm certainly guilty of that. I am always saying to people, you know, I live with a sense of urgency. I look forward, especially, you know, after I describe what happened to my husband, I think that was a real wake up to go, you know what? Life is so unpredictable. He was 29 years old, healthy, fit guy. So it definitely gave me this, like I live with a sense of urgency to say, let's go after our big goals, write things down, make things happen. Like I am that person. I, I can't deny it. I am that person looking forward, looking forward. But I think the nice thing about doing a mindfulness practice that you kind of have a documentation is that it allows you to also look back and to say, that's how I felt then. And how do I feel now? You know, what are those sentiments? What are those things? Have they changed? Have they remained? Are they the same? Are they different? It's just interesting. You don't have to share it with anyone. You don't have to feel a judgment. It's just for you. Yeah. How do you advise people who want to create better habits? When we all slip into bad habits. How can yes. we create more positive habits going forward? Yeah, that's a great topic that I talk about a lot as well, habits. And I think I describe powerful habits in the book as being useful and non-useful. So I often think when we say good or bad, we, we all think of, you know, the, the bad habit with, with junk food or the bad habit with alcohol and smoking, things like that, and good habits as being healthy habits. But I talk about useful and non-useful because I think ultimately if you define those two categories of is this habit, this daily behavior, this thing that I engage in every day, is this taking me closer towards an outcome or a goal that I want, or is it taking me further away? And that is a really simple way of differentiating, okay, this is useful to me or it's not. And that applies to lots of things as well, relationships, people, um, you know, things that you engage in basically daily. So if it's useful, then great, like let's, let's optimize, let's do that, let's repeat it, let's make it a part of the daily routine. If it's non-useful, doesn't mean it's going to be easy. We know that, right? We, there's going to be habits that we tempt us. You know, it's nice, it's comfortable, it's the thing that we like. But actually, putting a bit of friction between the non-useful habits. So, for example, if your non-useful habit or your bad habit is that you spend 
a lot of time procrastinating, a lot of time scrolling on social media. You feel like you are, yeah, flitting in between things. So email, Slack, WhatsApp, different things, basically trying to multitask. It's very inefficient. So if that, that was definitely a, a bad habit of mine. And I was like, I'm trying to do four or five things at once because you feel like you've got so much to do. But in reality, when you do things in isolation, you it's more efficient so making the kind of putting some friction in between the habit or the behavior for me would be to put my phone in another room and to focus on whatever i'm doing on my laptop close all the other tabs and just do that one thing once you finish that task move on to the next one because this idea that we can have multi-channel multi-screens conversation here answering that we're just spreading ourselves so thin and I think that with any habit whether you're working towards a fitness goal whether you want to change your 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 diet habits your alcohol habits whatever the habit is pick the one that you want and which is most favorable make that the easy option make that the thing that is right there give yourself a visual cue a prompt whether that's your leaving your yoga mat laid out ready whether that's having your running shoes right in front of the door so you practically have to trip over them to get out you know give yourself visual cues and the things that you want to avoid put barriers in place to make it harder for yourself to have to scroll on your phone or to have to pour a glass of wine you know just put little barriers there so that we have a little stop and go okay am i choosing this or not idea i'm gonna have to keep my bottle of wine in another room (laughs) (laughs) you know on the table where it's so easy just to pour another glass i've got to actually get up and go and find it and you know, I had a conversation with a client about this and I said to her, because she was like, oh, you know, she she said she'd been drinking a lot more this year because yeah, lockdown and yeah. yeah, a lot of people have. And she said to me, oh, you know, I really want to just limit it to two or three nights a week. And I said to her, well, you know, when you order your online shop this week, don't order any wine. And she was like, Adrienne, I have a wine cellar. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. She's going to have to get a lock and a key and give it to somebody who's not around. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role 
like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now you talk about diet there. I'm really interested. Can we discuss your experience as a vegan? Because you, you've written about how you craved meat after a couple of years and then almost felt ashamed at having mm. To go back and eat it. I mean, you're talking to a committed meat eater, by the way. So, <laughs> yeah, you know what it is to explore your experience there. Yeah, you know what it is interesting actually hearing you you say it because actually I think I was always like a secret vegan. So I always used to joke with friends that they'd be like, "You haven't eaten any animal products for a year. I think you can say that you're vegan now." Yeah. And I was always on the fence, like, "Oh, because." Yeah, I just wanted to try it. I wanted to experiment with this diet because I'd read so much at the time. I was training for an endurance event, a marathon, and I'd read so much about endurance athletes who go plant-based and through eliminating animal products, they recover better and they, they, they have enhanced performance. So I was like, let me give it a try. And that's what it was. It was to try it. And I think often now people... You know, I, I like this idea that we can be fluid and we can change and we can change our mind or change our diet or change our hair and that's okay. And that you don't have to prescribe to one thing and make one choice and live by it forever and ever because other people will potentially go, oh, you're doing that now. Oh, you changed your mind. Oh, you said once and now you have to stick to it. So I think what I did with the, with the vegan diet, as I said, I wanted to explore it. I wanted to see. How does it affect my body? How do I feel with this plant-based diet? Is this going to be better for, for me? Is it going to be better for the planet? Is it, you know, I did a lot of reading and research. I, I never just kind of throw things out there. I was like, let me really understand and use myself as an experiment. You know, I, I talk about individual ownership. Often people look left and right for other people to tell us, well, what should I do? What's the best this? What's, you know, and I sometimes say, trial and error, you know, you can, you can take control of the wheel of the car of, of your life and try it for yourself. So I tried it. And yeah, as you said, after about, I think it was about two years and I was definitely finding that I was like, Oh, I, you know, I, I love, you know, animal products. I love meat. I remember thinking, Oh, that looks delicious when I was in a restaurant and feeling like I'm missing out or, you know, thinking, Oh, actually for in my cycle as well in my monthly cycle I was starting to feel changes and I was thinking is this is it to do with that is it not to do with that do I need to supplement am I low in iron all these different things and actually if I'm really honest yeah the, the feeling of missing out and thinking oh hang on am I still doing this for because as I said I wanted to experiment and explore or have I now kind of set these parameters that I somehow feel I have to stick to so I kind of let it go and was like you know what maybe I'll have some eggs. Maybe I'll have some fish. Maybe I, and I never really kind of talked about it. I just was like, let me just do what I want to do. And if, if in the future, you know, I decide, oh, you know, I'm going plants and I'm not, I just think we can be fluid. I think we can do what feels right. Do what, you know, obviously be informed, get, get advice as well. You know, I spoke to nutritionists. I, I had a blood test, you know, actually get the information to inform yourself. And also what do you like? What do you enjoy? Because for me, I love to cook. I love to host. Food is like a part of, it's a joy of my life to have people around the table and share a meal. So yeah, I think if you enjoy something as well and you're missing out day after day after day, then I also question, you know, we only have one life to live. We're going to experience it once. So yeah, I think there's there's definitely a balance for people when they ask around eliminating things such as alcohol or caffeine or meat. Everyone's got to do what they want to do. But if you're doing something and you're suffering, then 
I don't know. I think life's too short for that. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I think also we are all different. And as we understand more about nutrigenetics and what works for some people and doesn't work for others. And I think we just need to have you know that bigger picture perhaps in mind. And it's interesting what you were saying about endurance and athletes as well, because that there is obviously a lot of a lot of chat about you know what what is what the body really needs, you know, to survive and, and to thrive. Yeah, well, that's it, isn't it? Thrive, not just survive. I think there's so much, you know, there's always going to be, this is evidence-based and, it, and it's the data that backs up the argument for everything. There'll always be one study. It's, it's the big the big picture that matters, really. Yeah, absolutely, because I feel like that, with, especially with the diet and nutrition world, everyone's argument is, is, is evidence-based. But what is the evidence? So, yeah, it's very, it's very nuanced, but everyone's, everyone's argument for what is the optimum best diet, they've always got a study to support it. Absolutely, and we should keep that in mind. Now, I think you are possibly as obsessed with sleep as I am, and I know that we are both big fans of Matthew Walker. Yes. I've had him on my podcast, actually. I mean, completely fascinating. Um, tell me from your perspective why sleep is such a focus. Wow, yeah. So Matthew Walker, if I'm honest, I remember reading that book and kind of I was kind of a bit annoyed that I'd read that because once you know it, you can't unknow it. So then I was like, yeah, that's it. You have to prioritize your sleep almost above all else. <laughs> yeah, so I was kind of annoyed. I was like, oh, I really wish I hadn't read that book because now there's no, yeah, there's no excuse, there's no escaping it. But I guess why did I prioritize sleep so much? I think one would be performance. So yeah, looking at recovery. I think if you want to train for an endurance event whether that's a marathon or an ultra event or a triathlon whatever it is you really do have to look at what you're asking your body to do and I think you know years ago only elite athletes or people with coaches and training plans and their whole world would be around training for endurance events now everyone's doing it you know people really working full-time job you're looking after kids you're training for a marathon it's just like oh yeah sure and it's become this thing that I think people just you know, I'll do a marathon. Sure. Why not? And actually it's a real challenge on the body. It really, really is. And as I said, you know, when I had, you know, the blood tests to see how my iron levels low, they were. And actually I think it was partly due to the amount of, of endurance running that I do. So for me, sleep was initially like, okay, I need to look at optimizing recovery because you can only improve and perform and train as well as you can recover, rest and sleep. So that was one part. Another part was probably, if I'm honest with you, vanity I think I turned 30 and was like oh I've never cared about you know my skin and you know this and that and suddenly I was like I care about my skin I actually want to kind of you know take care of my skin especially as a runner in the wind and the rain and the sun SPF so that was one reason vanity I was like sleep is going to preserve I know that that's true because my friends my sister-in-law she she has always been like a nine hour kind of gal and she looks incredible and she's her skin and her complexion is amazing. So there was that. And also, I guess, again, going back to um, when my husband was ill, you know, going into a neurology ward and he then developed epilepsy. So I learned a lot about neurology, about epilepsy, about brain, about brain functionality. I started reading so much, you know, I became kind of obsessed actually with learning about our brain's function and cognitive function. And as I'm sure you know, it is hugely impacted by sleep. So yeah, that was really, really fascinating. Because I thought, well, if it can... Talk me through your schedule then, because if you're up at 5.30 and yep. you're prioritizing sleep, how does that work? When do you go to bed? Well, this is where the ninja discipline comes in, because honestly, getting up early is 
easier than going to bed early. So my kind of general rule is that I have to be upstairs between 9.30 and 9.45. And it's kind of a non-negotiable because I feel like in my house, once I'm upstairs, there's no tech, there's no laptop, there's no TV, there's no, that's just how it is. Yeah, so. Because it's like a transition. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess kind of. And straight into bed, you've got that wind down time to tell your body that it's time to start switching off. Yeah, absolutely. And I like to, because if I'm honest, throughout my day, I am someone with a lot of energy. I go from one thing to the next thing, you know, I go one thing to the next thing. Sometimes I feel frantic. It's like a hundred miles an hour, but that's how I am. Whereas I think, as you said, you can't go from that to bed and just expect to just sleep. So yeah, once I go upstairs, there's no laptop, there's no TV, there's no nothing really. And that's when I'll either spend time in the bathroom. It's when I'll maybe journal, write some things down, read, but basically I want to be lights out by 10. And I have honestly my room, I have blackout blinds. So it is so dark that you can't even see your hand in front of your face. I have plants in there to make it, you know, to make the air nice. I have, um, I have candles. It smells nice. It just genuinely does feel like a little bit of a sanctuary and yeah I've definitely I've worked hard to make it that way so that so that it's more inviting because as I said it's tempting always to think oh I'll just reply to that or oh let me just call my friend and then before you know it it's 11 so it takes discipline it takes willpower every day so you read that women sleep less than men is that right yes so I was really really I was fascinated by this when I was researching for, for, for my book, The Power Hour. And actually this kind of gender inequality, the gender gap that we talk about when we look at, you know, what men typically earn compared to women and things like that, it continues. The sleep, the battle for sleep, women typically lose out on sleep throughout their lifetime due to a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's due to taking on more of the the, the family and the looking after children waking up in the night sometimes it might be whether that's you know if you choose to breastfeed if you're changing nappies if you're even just kids as they get older getting into your bed or whatever even um, looking at things like how our hormones change around our cycle and how that can disrupt our sleep every month we might have a night where we have pain or we have hot flushes or, or all these different things and, and as we go on into menopause again that happens more and more so I think throughout a woman's life we we do get less sleep and actually even down to the taking on more of the labor of, of decisions for the family so oh remembering to do the Christmas shopping or remembering Absolutely. to oh my order God. a car in the morning and the first thing it's is the head is buzzing isn't it with all the things that have to be done that day for the family as well as work yeah whereas I think also in this study that I read one of them said about men snoring and said that often <laughs> yeah I was like seriously it was saying that when a lot of women will say that they you know their their sleep is disrupted by their partner snoring or sometimes they'll they'll wake up in the night and move to another room or move to the sofa all of these things so it's really important to consider that if you are not getting the sleep that you need that you want then you might have to make adjustments you might have to have that conversation and say look you know sleep is really really fundamentally important and throughout you know the, the whatever your situation is children um you know that's a whole nother topic which you know for parents the sleep the amount of parents that are like don't talk to me about Matthew Walker because <laughs> I don't want to hear it you know too depressing it is too depressing but you're not a fan of sleep apps are you and sort of sleep tech well you know what I'm not really a 
fan yet, but never say never. And I feel like with th- when things are new, they take time. You know, it takes iteration, and 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 things do evolve and improve. But I think from the sleep, I'm not a sleep expert, from, but from the sleep experts and the doctors that I talk to, they all are kind of aligned in the fact that they say the technology's not yet, um, it's not yet accurate enough, and so therefore, when we for people who have trouble sleeping often the first time their attention is brought to something like a sleep app is because they're not sleeping. And then the the kind of awareness of tracking the app, how many minutes did I wake up? That then feeds into the stress of not sleeping and it kind of perpetuates, you know? I have to say, I mean, I've been using Sleep Cycle, which I I do quite like, and I use it as an alarm because it sort of wakes me up within a half hour window, supposedly when I'm sleeping at my lightest. So it's supposed to wake you up gently, which I quite like. But it is, you know, that moment when I switch it off and it gives me my score for the night, you know, it's like, oh, no, did, did I perform well? You know, was, was I a good girl? Did I have a good night's sleep? How many out of 100 did I get? It was like passing a test. And actually, I gave it to Lily, my eldest daughter, to help her sleep. And she had to, um, she had to, to, you know, delist it from her phone because she's, it was just too stressful. She couldn't cope with the stress of not, not passing the test in the morning of how well she slept. <laughs> just kind of right. the object, really exactly it's almost another metric you know there's so many metrics for us to measure as you said like is it another thing that I'm doing well is it another thing that I can tick on my list and and kind of another achievement when in reality we were born and we knew how to sleep you know I know that some people would argue depending on how much their babies or children wake up but we knew how to sleep no one taught us you know how to go to sleep or or, or what happens in the night when you wake up you just fall back to sleep so sometimes if you do have disrupted sleep it can be incredibly detrimental and it can be something that's hard to break you know that cycle I don't want to kind of you know um not do justice to how much that can impact you you know insomnia or or people who struggle with with disrupted sleep it really really is a difficult thing can be to overcome but what I'd say about that is I actually had a time in my life when I struggled to sleep and it was after my husband had been ill after my son was born and I think there's just been so much change so quickly, you know, it just came out of nowhere that I think a part of me was like, you know, and especially because his, his brain hemorrhage and his seizure happened in the middle of the night. So I did for a while really struggle to sleep because I used to just wake up with this panic, almost like a PTSD of like, <gasps> like a panic. And then I'd find it hard to go back to sleep. So I really relate when people talk about the anxiety they feel if they're not able to sleep. But what I would say to to anyone who is in that situation is that at that time, I honestly never thought that I would sleep deeply and carefree ever again. I think I just thought this is just going to be forever. But actually, in reflection, I now sleep really well. I go to bed. I don't really think about it. I fall asleep. I might wake up. I might not. So I kind of want to say to people, you know, there's natural variation in our life. And and especially this year, if you've had a lot of uncertainty change, you might be might have lost your job you might be worried about your parents health there's all these things that could be impacting your sleep but please don't think that it's going to be forever good sleep will return to you again some way somehow so kind of just let the pressure go and yeah try not to stress about not sleeping yeah you you talk with such passion about so many things is that really is it driven by a sense of purpose or what you know what is what is driving you what's your take on on purpose and passion yes absolutely i think you know as i said earlier about the teacher says i talk too much i think one of the the gifts that i you know we all have 
different gifts and talents. And I think mine is actually to speak encouragement to people. That is my gift from God. I say to people, I'm, an, I'm a professional encourager. So right. if you have potential, I will see it and I will encourage you to, to pursue it. So yeah, I think passion and purpose is really important. I think it's a difficult one to kind of pin down sometimes for a lot of people and they'll say oh you know I, I've read so many things that tell me to just figure out my purpose and follow that and then it'll all be all come together but what if I don't have a, a laser focus or, or, or a purpose that I know and what I say to people is that your passion and purpose are not they're often those words often used interchangeably they're not necessarily the same thing you have lots of passions you can be passionate about so many different things and it's great to explore all of those things maybe for work maybe for a career maybe just for fun but I think purpose I definitely think is more of an innate feeling of your core values you know what are you what do you want to achieve what do you want to become and and why and really investigating you know what is that thread that ties together everything that you do, the work that you want to create, the people you want to spend your time with, the books that you read, all of it. For me, figuring out that my purpose or my, or my, my gift, if you like, is as encouragement was like, okay, all these problems that I hear when I'm training a client or when I'm talking to a friend on the phone or when I'm helping someone to, to brainstorm their, their, their work ideas, Actually, I was hearing the same things again and again and again. And so for me, it was like, well, actually, I want to encourage people to not wait until, you know, their kids are older or until they've lost weight or until they've got more money or all of these things. Because actually growing up for me and growing up with, with, with my mom, she was a single mom. She didn't have opportunity. She didn't have money. She didn't have agency choice. She didn't have it. So I think seeing that and growing up and witnessing that in, in some ways, you know, it kind of just made me think, I want to not only do this for myself and kind of create a life that, that I love and, you know, the work that I love and have the agency to be able to, regardless of perceived, uh, perceived limitations. So being a woman or being a woman of color or coming from a low income household, all of these things that could be perceived as barriers. I think I really thought actually my purpose and my passion, they're kind of aligned. I love people. I love to encourage people. And I realized that if I can achieve this goal, this goal, whatever the goal is, you know, I'm not an Olympic athlete. I'm not a celebrity. I'm not, I don't have any amazing skill, but the reality is I am so hardworking. I'm willing to set audacious goals and I can encourage others to do the same. So yeah, I think figuring out that that was for me, like everything I do has to align with that. And if people can figure out for them, what is the one thing that drives, what's your core value above everything else? And you strip it all back, what do you want to be known for? What will you be remembered for? What's the thing that you could do and time just passes? You don't even notice that it's been four hours and you've missed a meal because you're just doing it. That's when you feel it. That innate feeling, I think, is, is you're on the right track to finding your purpose if you have that feeling, which I know is hard when you don't have it, you know? Interesting, you talk about hours and the hours slipping by. You worked out in your book mathematically <laughs> how many spare hours we all have, which I think is really encouraging. It's probably a very good note to, to kind of end on because listening to you, I think people will be thinking or could be inclined to think, gosh, you know, there's just so much, you know, how do you fit it all into all the hours of the day? So I think you asked yourself the same question and you, you worked it out mathematically, didn't you? You said, <laughs> right, this is how many hours we have. I did, I did, yes, I did. 
Yeah, I did. And I'm honestly, I'm a data person. I really like facts, figures, data. If someone gives me like a hypothesis, I'm like, hmm, what's the stats on that? So yeah, I guess I kind of did. I looked at the week and said, okay, we have 166 hours. And when I talk about taking one hour every day, the reason I guess I did that maths was because people were like, an hour, a whole hour. I don't even have 10 minutes for myself. I don't even have five minutes to do, you know, forget mindfulness and Pilates. I don't have five minutes. Okay. So I was kind of trying to, trying to highlight to people that actually you have 166 hours in your week. And if you can take one of them every day, that's only seven. If you can't reclaim just seven for yourself, yet you give maybe 40 to 50 to your work, you might give... Um, yeah, you might do two hours a night on TV. You might do hopefully eight hours a night on sleep, 56. I kind of, as you say, break it down and showcase to people that there's probably still about 60 hours left. When if you really, I don't want people to kind of, you know, every hour of every day has to be productive or busy. That's not what this is. But I think if you can't claim one hour for yourself and every minute of the day is given away to something or someone, you might think that it's, uh, a noble pursuit you know I give this example as well in the book around if you had to have an operation and your surgeon was well rested and they had eight to nine hours sleep and you know maybe they'd done a mindfulness practice or been for a run and they came to do your surgery or you could have the surgeon who has selflessly given their time worked overnight done the extra shift four nights in a row and they're exhausted but, but they are there in service of others they just want to help which one do you want? Because I want the rested doctor who's had a good night's sleep and been for the run. So I kind of challenge people to think of it in that way. It's not selfish. It's not self-indulgent. Actually, it's necessary. You do have the time available. We all have the same amount of hours in a day. It's just prioritization. It's just making yourself a priority. I really love that, Adrian. I really love the maths behind it. 166 hours in the week let's take seven of them. So leaving, you know, 159 for others and for all the other bits and pieces that we have to do, which is plenty. That's a fair, that's a fair deal, isn't it? It's not even 10%. It's yes, you know, exactly. It's Absolutely. Tiny, tiny. It's yeah. been a real pleasure to talk to you. And I've just gained a lot of, um, just a lot of insight, I think, and just reminded me of a lot of the things that I think we know, but we really need to be brought more front of mind, especially right now. So I'm hugely grateful and hugely best of luck with Power Hour. I think it's such a great book and it's just got so much in it. It, you know, it goes through sleep and we didn't even touch on gut health and cold showers and you know, all <laughs> the other great, great things that, that you talk about. So you know, well done with it. And I wish you huge success for the future. Thank you so much. I've really, really enjoyed this insightful conversation. I've really enjoyed, you know, the, 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 just the depth. And I talk in the, in the book again about like the quality of questions. And I think when you, when you ask the, the right questions, you, you find the right answer. So even with the six questions before six, you know, I've, I've really, really enjoyed it. So thank you for having me. And yeah, I look forward to, to speaking to you again. Definitely. I'm going to go off and write my six questions now. Thank you. Brilliant. <laughs> Thanks so much, Liz. And that is it for today's episode. As always, you will find all the links and the resources mentioned on today's show over on lizellwellbeing.com. There you can also sign up for the free weekly newsletter that comes from Lizelle Wellbeing. And it's packed with wellness wisdom you can trust and many more tips for a happy, healthy life. <laughs> 
Huge thanks to all of you who have left us such lovely reviews, especially on iTunes. It really does help others to find the show along with those little five-star reviews. So thank you. Until the next time we chat, go well. Bye-bye. Lizelle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Lizelle, with production by Amaryllis Earl and Harry Trevithick at Heart Dialogue, with thanks to my producer, Ellie Smith, and guest booker, Millie de la Morinière. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.